HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Cheese State University. Cheese State University was created for dedicated cheese professionals seeking to deepen their knowledge, sharpen their skills, and build connections. Join them in the Ivy League of Cheese Education at cheesestateuniversity.com. Hello, and welcome to another great episode of Cutting the Curd. I'm your host, Jessica Kesselman, and I am joined today by two of my favorite people working in New York City in cheese. We are here to talk about cheese care. So cheese is alive. Cheese of all types are influenced by their environment. And it's been coming up a lot about how to take care of cheese once it leaves the caves and the hands of the cheesemaker and enters the supply chain. And we need to do more than cross our fingers that it will make it in good shape to the customer and make it in good shape to all the homes where it's going to be enjoyed. So one of the responsibilities of cheesemongers is to continue to care for cheese after it's arrived at the store. And in this episode, we speak with Jen Lopez from Forever Cheese and Kate Adler from Bedford Cheese Shop here in New York to talk about cheesemonger education and the way they are working with cheesemongers nationally and in independent shops to improve cheese care. Thank you both for being here. Thanks for having us, Jessica. And I am so excited to say we are in the studio. I, this is my first time in the studio since being a guest pre-2020. I've never been in a studio like this, so I'm excited <laughs> to be here. I think so, I've just been an observer from the outside. Yeah. Yes, well, we're in the studio in uh, Bushwick, and... Um, I'm going to start um, by asking you, Jen, can you tell us a little bit about your role at Forever Cheese and um, and your relationship to cheese care? Because I'm going to be honest, part of this uh, series that I've been doing about cheesemonger education and cheese care is inspired by a conversation I had with you. So you want to tell us about what you're doing? Well, my, um, I've, my role at Forever Cheese uh, is to manage uh, our Whole Foods business. So I am primarily focused on Whole Foods. Um, however, we have always run a pretty lean, uh, lean operation. So 
over the years, I've certainly pitched in and helped out with other customers and, um, you know, met with them, done trainings with our customers and uh, worked uh, together with my colleagues in that, in that way. So when I talk about things today, I won't, won't necessarily uh, be talking about a specific customer, but perhaps uh, all of our customers collectively. Um, plus we all used to sit in what I affectionately call the sales pit. So <laughs> we all sat about as close together as you and I are sitting right now. And there was five of us all on the phone and we're all, you know, hearing each other's conversations. So um, I think I know all of our customers pretty well. Yeah. And what I love about, um, about this industry, uh, the best parts of this industry is, is we follow it, cheese, um, with a little bit of a, of a, of an attachment, we want to see it all the way through, right? We want to make sure that that cheese, uh, is leaving a cheesemaker and arriving at the customer and the, and the, whether that end user is the shop or the person at the counter buying the cheese, we want to make sure it's going to be taken care of at its best and presented at its best and consumed at, at its best. So, um, so when, when you and I spoke, you had started a project with um with whole foods because that's your account um about cheese care specifically um implementing a new tool right i we had just uh i think we might have just shot a cheese uh care video a, a cheese brushing video so for years uh when all of our customers would contact us about surface mold um one of the first things we would say was well the best way to uh address it would be I mean, depending on the cheese, so with natural rind cheeses, not bloomy cheeses, um, the best way to address the surface mold would, would be with a brush, which is what the affineurs are doing uh, when they're, uh, you know, maturing the cheese and uh, doing their work uh, with the cheese. So in the, in the travel, as the cheese is traveling, uh, you know, the cheese is still continuing to develop its rind. It doesn't stop. Uh, it, there's not a, an internal clock that says, you know, I'm going to stop developing. So when it arrives to the shop and if someone perhaps has never seen something before, you know, a, a, a color of mold or just the amount of mold, we would always uh, suggest brushing. Um, but often... I knew from having been a monger myself in a variety of settings that brushes typically are not part of the battery of tools that are found in a cheese shop. And so I just always found it strange that what I was recommending was something that was a tool that they didn't have. And so I would then recommend uh, things to brush the cheese with that I knew that they did have, whether it's a dry, dry paper towel or uh, a dry, clean cloth that might be available and that the cheese can be brushed with those things. So a few years ago, um, I tried to work with Whole Foods and uh, recommend a brush that we had used uh, at our warehouse. And, and we did sort of, not necessarily a rollout, but I think a couple of regions participated in uh, purchasing the brush for their stores. 
but that had been several, several years ago. And, you know, things get lost, things get thrown away, you know, train, nobody knows what this, what is this brush doing in this drawer? Um, or you have some, a store remodel. <laughs> some, some of those brushes might exist in a drawer somewhere. Um, anyway, but it was always really a pipe dream of mine to have a brush that um, essentially we could have available for, for our customers that would be able to go into a commercial dishwasher and, and uh, handle the heat and, uh, and they could maintain themselves. And of course we could put our, put our brand on it. Uh, and um, so this is something that we finally were able to accomplish. Um, and I also didn't want to purchase them from Uline for right. a lot of reasons. So I wanted to find another uh, supplier for them. So we finally accomplished that. And then I uh, brought it to Whole Foods uh, to, they obviously need to work with their um, safety team, food safety team, uh, to make sure that it's something that they want the stores to be using. And one of the things they asked us to do is to create some training around it. And so we felt that a video would be the best way to do it. And so, um, you know, we shot a video and it was really great fun to do. And the results I think, uh, are so dramatic and, um, Oh, by the way, I brought you brushes. So don't, let, don't let me forget. I'm so excited. Don't let me forget. Because <laughs> like uh, when the pizza gets going later, we might I forget. <laughs> so don't let me forget. Um, so anyway, on the brush, uh, the packaging of the brush, there's a QR code that directs you to the video. So when you receive the brush, you're directed to a training video that shows you how to brush the cheese. And we, you know, brush many different cheeses in the video and uh, go through the steps of how to clean and maintain the brush. And I was just, I'm so happy about it because it's been something I wanted to do for a long time. And um, so I think when we had our lunch that day, I was excited to talk about it. Yeah. And okay. So first of all, QR codes, folks, that's the future. I mean, I know they've been around for a it while. It was the past and now it's the, it future. Is the future. But it is like, it's amazing. You just, you know, because some people are visual learners and um, it's just great, right? I mean, it's so That's, easy. We do it in our shop too. Not even just cheese related things, but pantry items that maybe people don't know what to do with them, but are really cool. We've started putting like recipe uh, links in a QR code next to the products so that now you can see how you use it. And yeah. it, it really is the future of just, it's not just the salesperson, but it's helping get more information to the consumer. It's true. So anybody out there who's trying to figure out training or product promotion, or, you know, like you can also save a lot of paper. Yep. <laughs> just <laughs> QR codes. Don't throw away the things that come into your shops with QR codes on them. Follow the QR code. See what, see what's there. So, Jen, what, what are some of the benefits you've seen of this, you know, you know, kind of unassuming, um, kind of simple approach of just, it's a brush, but you, you mentioned it's, it's had an impact. What are some of the things you've noticed just, you know, from just doing this, implementing this simple brush effort? 
Well, I've definitely um, heard great feedback from from our customers and, you know, just to have a lot of that much enthusiasm about something that's actually not a product, (laughs) you know, Uh, can't eat it. (laughs) I really wish that we would have done it a lot sooner, Um, but it's here now. So, um, you know, hopefully there might, maybe there'll be other things in the future. Um, I know that, uh, you know, I think there's things that like cheese paper uh, that maybe might not be as available uh, as, you know, somebody might have a resource for that, but not everybody. That might be another thing um, that can get into, you know, I mean, I don't want to get into the supply business. Uh, We're a cheese house, Uh, but uh, it definitely is some, a lot of our energy uh, is talking to our customers about cheese care. So it's an important part of our business. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm finally glad that we've gotten to this point. That's awesome. And Kate, um, you are kind of coming from a completely different role. Um, Jen was on the counter at one point. You're on the counter currently. And um, at Bedford Cheese Shop, what do you do there? And can you tell us about this effort you've created called Monger Mondays, which has kind of been a massive hit in this giant city. Yeah. So uh, my title at Bedford Cheese Shop is Cheese Manager. Uh, We felt that Cheese Buyer wasn't really an all-encompassing title with everything that I actually do at the shop. So as Cheese Manager, I do curate our case. I do do the purchasing when it relates to cheese, but I also am a big trainer. I educate our mongers. I educate other mongers who come from other shops too. Um, But Monger Mondays has really been, it it was something I was always wanting to do. um, And it was something I felt was lacking in my own cheese community. And I am so lucky that I happened to work for a shop, women-owned shops, Samantha Fantosi and Christina Earle, who are our owners, um, you know, we just want to bring people together and be able to have mongers who, whether it's their second week on the case or they've been doing this for years or they're a distributor who used to be a monger and now they work in sales or in a warehouse or you're a producer, uh, wherever you fall as a cheese professional, I want you in that space. So we have a gathering room in uh, kind of the back of our shop that we refer to as the homestead. And we teach all of our classes there, but now we we host our free once a month industry events. We usually host them on like the second Monday of every month. And we started in October with just the idea of bringing people together, sharing resources, and just not being behind the counter with customer service being a factor in it. We, we want to be able to talk about things happening in our industry, talk about monger training which really has become a big thing which we'll talk about a little later but we started it with uh our first one was kind of like a little book club I had everyone bring their favorite piece of cheese literature uh and you know it doesn't have to we had someone bring in this the stinky cheese man book Mm -hmm. um and then you had people bringing in uh 
cheese and culture. You had someone bring in Reinventing the Wheel. The book I brought in was the World Cheese Book, the one that's actually out of print now. But that was the first book that was ever given to me when I was starting my monger training. And we had everyone go around the table and, you know, talk about why it's your favorite book, but also where does this resource help you along your cheese journey? Mm -hmm. And how did this book impact what you learned and how you operate as a monger now, how you talked about cheese to your customers? Uh, and it, it turned into a really beautiful conversation. There were only about 12 people there. And then our second one we did in November, uh, I work very closely with Essex Street Cheese. I've worked with them for years and, uh, you know, they're so big on education. I was like, I bet Jewel would want to come in and do a little education. So we started spitballing some ideas of, you know, what, what do mongers need? And what mongers need is the vocabulary to meet their customer where they're at in a not intimidating way, but knowing that probably most of the cheese that they're eating is coming from places like Trader Joe's, is coming from Whole Foods, which Whole Foods has a really robust selection, but a lot of times you're not always conversing with a monger to feel like that you're okay to go up and talk to a monger in a smaller shop and not feeling intimidated, like you don't know what you're talking about, like you don't belong there. And uh, what we ended up doing was a blind tasting of uh, three, or I think it was three of Essex staple cheeses, which their whole thing is capturing the, the best of the best of some of the staple cheeses. So we did Comte, we did Feta, and we did Parmigiano-Reggiano. We also did Manchego. And we put those side by side with a blind tasting of cheeses from Trader Joe's. And, you know, at a base level, some of them, you, it was very clear which was the Essex artisanal and which was the more everyday brand. But what are the real tangible reasons why those are the in air quotes the better option and it comes down to that we as the monger can tell you exactly who's made this cheese I can tell you the breed of sheep that made that manchego I can tell you all of these things about the cheese that is now in your hands whereas when you have more of the everyday industrial grade cheeses that's not really the case but it's our job as mongers to have the vocabulary to be able to convey that to our customer without making them feel inferior because right. that's not what our industry is about. We want to be able to meet people where they're at. And that that was kind of the first big classroom model for Monger Mondays that's grown into sharing resources and feeling like you can ask the questions to a group of people who will have the answers. Um, so that's, that's what we're doing over at Bedford. It's amazing. I keep hoping I can make it and I... <laughs> I'm going to make it one day, I promise. And I do know that there are some other stores that are picking up your lead around the country and trying to find, tap into um, a, you know, providing a space for cheese professionals to meet informally um, and take advantage of some resources. So do you have brushes on your counter? So we actually do have a brush, <laughs> but I never worked with a brush until I worked at Bedford. Um, my Last two shops, I started at Dobbs and Bishop Fine Cheese in Bronxville while I was studying music in college. Um, and it was just a completely different setup of a shop. Uh, but there was a lot that I didn't learn about cheese care just because of our volume and what we were bringing in. And it, it was just, it was a very different experience. Um, and then I opened my own shop in Baltimore for a gourmet market before coming back to New York. And I didn't understand that 
surf I, I knew what surface mold was you know we as monk but we don't really think about it on the rind we're more like when I think of surface mold or when I used to think of surface mold I was like oh that's just when we need to face the cheese I didn't really understand the difference between facing and rind care and that was something really big in my education at Bedford is we, we brought in another uh, monger. His name's Adrian Silva. He was a CCP, is a CCP. And I learned a lot from him because he was like, well, we don't have a brush here. And I said, well, what are we using a brush for? I can just use a paper towel. He's like, no, 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 Kate. No, no, no. <laughs> and so we, we sent our GM to Home Depot and she, she sent me a bunch of pictures of brushes. And I'm like, Adrian, what about this brush? <laughs> and he's like, no, too rough. I was like, what about this brush? Perfect. That's the brush. So we we have just a good old yellow bristled brush from Home Depot. It works just fine. There's definitely some things I wish we could change about it. It, def- it holds a lot of moisture, mm-hmm. which I'm, I haven't worked with the Forever Cheese brush, so I'm excited to. Um, I don't know how that works, but it's hard to maintain it uh, and be able to clean it properly in between uses and then set it out to dry. So I think the key, especially, I mean... The one that we have is not Mm -hmm. expensive and because they're inexpensive, you should just have many of them. So that's, uh, that's my suggestion is, uh, you know, we're make, we're giving them to a lot of our customers and we're also, um, since we have a lot of customers, uh, we're also selling them, but we're, you know, we're selling them at cost and, uh, just what it costs for, for us to have them made. Um, and to inventory them. But since they're, you know, at Home Depot, that's my recommendation is to just have more than one because it does, you definitely do need to clean them um, between using them different, between different cheeses. So if you're planning on working on, if you're, if you're, if it's your receiving day and you need to brush more than one cheese, uh, it would be really helpful to have more than one because it does need to completely dry, dry out before yeah. you use it again. No, yeah. I, I see a huge difference in all of our cheeses ever since we got a brush. And the way our case looks and the, even the spreading of surface mold onto the faces, now that we're actually able to care for the rind, it's made... A world of difference that I wish that I had known about a brush like three years ago. <laughs> I mean, it really does seem like, it, you know, we're talking about a brush, but it really, like, like I said in the beginning, cheese is alive, mold is alive. And, um, you know, we know that mold can jump. We know that it can, um, uh, you know, start growing where you don't want it to grow. Um, and then we also know that customers can be, you know, discerning based on appearance because we eat with our eyes first. And so, um, you know, all of this is really important about cheese care. I was just wondering, Jen, do you, like, you're in, re- in conversation with cheese makers um, when they send their babies off <laughs> to the United States from places like Italy and Spain, um, do they have concerns about cheese care that they express to you? Or are there things that you, in the back of your mind, are concerned about um, when you when when you know a cheese is coming from someplace? We talked earlier about, like, the Canary Islands. Um, what, what are the concerns going through the mind? Is it just surface mold? Are there other things? 
Well, surface mold, there's, you know, there's a term that we use a lot and that's is, you know, how does something travel and some things travel well and some things don't. And so you can taste something, uh, we can taste something abroad and really love it. Um, and then we bring it and make sure that, you know, see how well it travels. Um, and, uh, we make sure that we're having them come in the same way that the rest of our cheese is traveling. Um, you know, our, there's, there's a chemistry that's widely used in Europe. Um, and I honestly, because we import cheese, I don't know how much or if, if at all it's used here in the U.S. with, um, with cheese. But in Europe, there's uh, natamycin, which is used in a lot of cheese production, which is a mold inhibitor. But um, we have customers that the natamycin is not allowed and so um, that is, uh, you know, one thing that they're using, you know, within the EU and exporting to other countries that is sort of ubiqu ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. But uh, sometimes we have, you know, special runs of cheese that are only, you know, when they are making our cheese, that the chemistry is not used. And so in which case we might use other technologies like cryovac um, and other things like that that are used in order to um, inhibit and slow the surface mold uh, from blooming. But ultimately, it's still going to happen. I mean, it, it as soon as air, um, as soon as it has contact with air, the mold spores are going um, to start blooming. And so that's why we love blue cheese, <laughs> right? Uh, that's one of the favorite, my favorite things to talk about when I'm training a new cheese monger is like how you can actually open a wheel of like gorgonzola dolce. And, and if you stand there for about 10 minutes, you can actually watch it bloom. Amazing. Um, and so, but as far as, uh, we do, a, you know, we do, Oh, quite a lot in the process of, you know, our containers are built in a certain way so that the cheese travels well. There are certain cheeses when they arrive to our warehouse where every cheese is taken off the pallet, flipped, repalletized, then put into the bin, um, things like that. So they don't get bell-shaped. Uh, there's a lot of things that we do and order that our customers never have any idea that we're doing um, in order for the cheese to uh, to be the best that it can be. Did you know that? I didn't know that. <laughs> I'm, I'm just sitting here in awe, like my my wheels and my brain are trying to, I didn't know that, I didn't know that. I mean, we, when I tell sometimes, uh, you know, everybody has turns, right? And knows the, the term turns. Uh, you want to turn your cheese as fast as possible in a retail setting. And we have those same, you know, we have those same goals at Forever Cheese in which we want to turn uh, our entire inventory. I mean, sounds like long age cheeses like Parmigiano Reggiano, but we want to turn our entire inventory like every two weeks. So if you think about the quantity you know, we're receiving containers on a weekly basis and in Q3 and Q4, you know, multiple, 
multiple Spanish containers every week, multiple Italian containers every week. So that art, you know, we're just moving, moving through it as, as, as quickly as possible. And, and that works all the way down the line. We want at the counter cheese to move as well, because, you know, so that there's more room for more cheese and great condition that can go out to happy homes. No, exactly. And I mean, that's something on my, as a buyer, I'm constantly thinking about how can I get my cheese to be the freshest as possible to my customers. And I mean, of course, when you have a product that moves rather quickly, you can bring in more of it at a time. But if you're, the beauty of a small shop is knowing that you can bring in a little bit less. No, you can sell through it, bring in something new and fresh, but larger shops that order a large quantity of cheeses, you may not always get the freshest wheel. And uh, understanding batch variation and understanding when a cheese comes in really young versus when it's like really ripe and ready to go and having a customer understand that process. I mean, that's such a duty as a cheesemonger to be able to convey that to your consumer. And I, I mean, I have conversations with my distributors all the time and they're, I'm like, how's this cheese looking? How, how are things looking? And it's because I'm trying to figure out, you know, okay, if something's coming in really ripe, okay, I need to think about how I'm getting that out the door as soon as possible and making sure that it gets to the customer as fresh as possible. So uh, I want to talk about shrink for a second. As Has efforts like the cheese brush program, do you think it's addressing the challenge of shrink and um, and helping to prevent product from being discarded unnecessarily and um, and at, at the same you know on the same topic for you for shrink what are ways that you address shrink at the counter with your staff I'll throw it, either one of you can start with that well I guess for me um, you know, I have the conversation of if something smells off, I have my mongers follow their nose over their eyes a lot of the time, uh, which I have found to be very helpful because sometimes something might look a little weird, but then we, we give it some love and care and then, oh, it's good as new, good to go. Um, but when you have a less experienced monger, I, I've dealt with that in the past where someone threw something away that could have easily have been salvaged had they had the proper training. Uh, so a big goal of mine, actually, when I became cheese manager at Bedford was teaching people how to properly take care of cheese, understanding how much we actually have to face. Sometimes you sometimes you got to take a big chunk off, but a lot of times just a little scraping is all it needs. And you don't need to be throwing out nearly as much cheese as you think. And I mean, that was something me as a young monger used to make mistakes on all the time. I was throwing a cheese on the wire and just lobbing stuff off. And I'm like, well, I think back and I'm like, that's embarrassing. I could have saved so much product. Uh, so it really, it comes down to monger training. It comes down to knowing how something is supposed to smell, knowing how something is supposed to look and taste, but also understanding where cheese is in its lifespan. Mm -hmm. Understanding that, oh, I'm tasting this kind of young, so it's going to taste maybe not quite as flavorful and pungent as I'm used to, but it doesn't mean it's bad. It's just at a different point in its life or, oh, this is really strong. Oh, that smells like a kid, uh, kitty litter. That That's done. That That's out the door. But un knowing... The lifespan of the cheese, I think, has been the biggest uh, advantage to combating shrink. Yeah, and I think I think those are great. I love some of the 
phrase is uh, follow your nose. I think that's great. Um, I try to encourage a lot of times whenever I have concerned customers and they're sending me uh, photos, but maybe not any other sensory um, evaluation. So they haven't told me how it's smelling or tasting. So I'm always going to, that's how I'm going to follow up is how is it tasting uh, and how does it smell? And, uh, this just happened actually this week. And then they wrote me back and they're like, never mind, the cheese tastes great. <laughs> and, uh, that was it. But I think also what I used to do, uh, what I think is a great thing to do, which I think the pandemic put a halt to, and I hope that people start doing this again. Uh, and that is, you know, just sampling cheese to your customers, uh, whether it's passively, uh, anytime, you know, if you're working at a cut to order shop, you're always, if a customer is asking you to taste something, also offer it to everybody else that's standing there waiting to be serviced. If there is a line, uh, and give them that nibble, uh, anytime you're cracking a wheel of, of Parmigiano Reggiano, you know, uh, sweep up all those tasty bits from the center and, uh, you know, take a turn around the store, take a turn around, uh, the department and say, Hey, I just, cra- I just cracked this wheel. And, um, you know, I think I I've received so many, I mean, when you hear a person talk about eating, uh, Parmigiano Reggiano freshly cr- cracked for the first time, uh, it's, you know, it it's like a marker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it creates a marker in your, <laughs> in your uh, timeline, your life timeline. And, uh, you know, you can really, you can imagine, I think you are going to get a sale out of, out of that situation. So if it's a more mature cheese, uh, even more so to let, you know, someone get a bite of something that, uh, you know, might actually look it might be at its peak when it is looking a little rough. That is so true. And actually the Parmigiano Reggiano thing is for me, for me, the the flavor definitely, but the texture Mm -hmm. of a, of a freshly cracked wheel, you get a piece from the inside of that paste, the texture, there's nothing like it. And it starts to, it's like that moment doesn't come back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, so when you hit that moment right away, it's like, wait, what is this? As soon as this oxygen hits, it yeah. ruins it. It's amazing. <laughs> oxygen, oxygen and mold. Stupid oxygen. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to um, pause for um, a word from one of our amazing sponsors and supporters of Cutting the Curd. And we'll be right back here with Jen and Kate to conf- continue our conversation about cheese care. This episode is brought to you by Cheese State University. Cheese State University was created for dedicated cheese professionals seeking to deepen their knowledge, sharpen their skills, and build connections. It feels like a gift to be able to give this gift to people because I know that from my own experiences, I know how valuable, consolidated, Mm -hmm. incredible training resources are. They offer an in-depth education on all things cheese, as well as an active network for peer support and career development. 
you can pop over to the quad, which is our social networking and engagement app. Um, and so that's a really fun and dynamic aspect of Cheese State University. Cheese State's three-part course is designed for seasoned pros and entry-level mongers alike and covers all the skills one needs to perform on the cheese counter. The structure of Cheese State University is all based on the Cheese State University Field Guide. Um, and that is a three volume resource. It's all digital online. At the end of the course, students will be ready to ace the Field Guide assessment and earn their Cheese State Scholar Certificate. Another resource is a video series where we tackle sort of like these thornier questions that you can get on the cheese counter, like what is rennet? And like, why is this cheese so expensive? And can pregnant people even eat cheese? At Cheese State, you're among experts, you're among scholars, you're among cheese lovers, and most importantly, you are a monger. Join them in the Ivy League of Cheese Education at cheesestateuniversity.com. And we're back at Cutting the Curd with our guests uh, for this episode. We have Jen Lopez from Forever Cheese and Kate Adler from Bedford Cheese Shop. And we are talking about cheese care, monger education, and the relationship between cheese care and pretty much everything. Uh, <laughs> it all comes back to it. <laughs> all comes back to cheese care. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, when cheese shows up at the cheese shop, we call that receiving, and it's a really big deal. And um, it's such a big deal that it is part of the CCP like body of knowledge. If you're a, if you're a cheesemonger or a cheese professional, you're going for your certified cheese professional exam and certification. Um, this is this is something that they really want to make sure you understand and know about. Um, Jen, you actually. Um, talk about this with cheesemongers uh, in your in your position at Forever Cheese. What is receiving? Why is it so important? Well, it's a moment that you can't ever get back kind of in a way. I think that if you establish uh, certain SOPs uh, and uh, then the process well, it'll save you time later for one. So if you have a process where you're making sure that what you're receiving is actually what you're paying for on your invoice and uh, check, you know, checking uh, the bill of lading or all of those sort of paperwork things, uh, but also maybe making notations of lots, um, you know, potentially like on the bill of lading that you might be filing or on the invoice itself, you know, uh, or a packing slip. I mean, there could be a number of uh, protocols that you establish, you know, in, in whatever setting that you happen to be in. Uh, because if there actually is an issue and you, whether it's big or small, so whether it's something uh, like, surface mold or something, you know, that could be serious, like a foreign object in your cheese. Uh, either way, um, if you contacted your supplier with a concern, um, really one of the first questions they're going to ask you is for a lot number. And that uh, really is the start of how we can investigate uh, what's happening. So, and that sometimes I call, it's kind of fun, actually. It kind of has this a little bit, for me, it's a little bit like forensic science yeah. because I can 
with that information, I can uh, dig pretty deep into like and figure out when the cheese was purchased. And so this will could tell me, well, did this wheel, did this case of cheese actually happen to fall out of rotation? Um, because you know they might have just discovered it and thought that this was the most recent cheese that arrived when in fact it's been buried in the back of the walk-in for several months or something. So um, it can give me information like that. Uh, and it also, when it's something serious, then, then we have the lot number, uh, like in the case of Parmigiano Reggiano, there's a QR, co QR code actually on the wheel of cheese that acts like a thumb, like a fingerprint. And that can even tell us the batch, not just the lot. Um, if something needs to be opened up for, you know, an investigation that it is in involves like actually going back to the producer. So I think, you know, establishing uh, protocols, as, you know, if you hire someone new, typically you're going to have your more experienced mongers doing the receiving um, and, you know, opening cases of cheese and seeing what the condition is and then contacting um, your supplier, whether that's your distributor or if you're buying directly uh, from us uh, in particular, then, uh, you know, these are the questions you're going to ask. And, and pictures, you know, uh, if, if you do see something that uh, you want to ha have questions about that looks out of the ordinary, um, the only way really that we can really fully um, have an idea of what's happening is, is through uh, photos. What about um, at the store level, um, receiving? How would you describe um, what receiving is and like, and how do you address that at an independent shop? Well, I agree with you that it is like, a, it's a moment you can't get back. So you really do need to evaluate everything. Um, and I've also found that a lot of drivers don't necessarily have the training that they should have so that they can also help assess the situation should it be a not as experienced monger. So it's really important that whoever's taking it in, first of all, knows what's supposed to be coming in, has an idea of what things are supposed to look like. Um, because like I said before, I mean, if you don't understand where cheese is supposed to look like at its various points in its life, it's hard to receive product and really know what you're looking at um, and know when you do need to talk to your supplier. Because as I learned in recent years, is that surface mold on the rind is not a reason to contact your supplier. <laughs> we always love hearing from customers. <laughs> it, I felt real silly. <laughs> Don't feel silly. I mean, honestly, I feel any opportunity I have to talk to uh, team members uh, is, you know, it's just an opportunity. It's, I mean, this is a, it's a teaching moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And I, um, you know, I, unfortunately, well, I, over the years, I've actually, know myself well enough when I'm not in a state of mind to have that conversation, <laughs> right? Because we all have bad days. Absolutely. We all have bad trips on the, the MTA ruins our lives, you know, some mornings. Ah, yes. <laughs> so, so I know that if I receive, uh, you know, a credit request, a, a product concern, 
and I, it, it hits me at a bad time, then I just am not going to respond like right at that moment. And I'm just going to take a beat. Sometimes if I know it needs to be addressed or I don't think I might, I might actually wrap someone else into the conversation. I might actually contact, uh, you know, their supervisor that might actually be able to spend more time with them than what I have that day. My preference, honestly, is to spend that time myself, but I sometimes don't have that time. And so I might reach out to their uh, supervisor and say, hey, I got this um, credit request. You know, it's just a few dots of surface mold. Um, I don't have time to talk to them about this today. Is there a way that you can um, enter the conversation and offer some training to this team member? And, uh, you know, that's that's been great. I, I feel, you know, lucky, um, you know, to have a lot of support in that regard from, from my customer. And I think that, you know, we work really closely with all of our distributors. I mean, always having conversations. So, um, always give a call. (laughs) (laughs) She said, don't feel silly. Yeah. I, it's, it's important though, to know when you should talk to your distributor though, because I mean, I do, I see it a lot less with actually cheeses from forever cheese because a lot of them, at least the, the ones with surface mold are usually a bit more aged. They're a little bit harder, definitely can handle a brush, but what can't really handle a brush sometimes are some of my like overripe French tomes mm-hmm. and knowing when that rind is disintegrating in the box. And also sometimes it might just need to breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, and know, knowing where, where the triage steps are is really important as the person receiving. It is amazing what a little bit of time on the counter unwrapped giving a cheese a chance to breathe does for mm-hmm. cheese, right? It, it it's like what it does life. for all of us, right? No, for Go real. For we, walk. Sometimes um, we just need a breath. And yeah. I, I've seen so many cheeses just need that air exposure. And I come back an hour later and I'm like, oh, okay, you're good. I'll leave my, my right. distributor alone today. Years ago, uh, before I really truly had an understanding of some of the seasonality things about uh, some of our cheeses. I did a big promotion on Garocha in August. And, um, you know, when you're working with a a customer that has a lot of stores and, and they're running a big promotion, that means that the producer is potentially like making more cheese than they normally would. They are, maybe, you know, not aging the cheese quite as many days as they would because they need, you know, they need to ship the cheese. And so um, August, August just creates a lot of uh, problems because there's just more humidity and moisture in the air. Uh, You know, the air is warmer. And, you know, these are just the conditions that mold loves to grow. And so even just the couple of minutes where a truck door is opening up and the pallets are being transferred from one place into the another. Now our receiving dock is refrigerated. And so 
the truck is driving, you know, is, is unloading in a refrigerated area, but that's not the case in a lot of situations. And so even just those few minutes can bring the temperature up enough to get everything blooming. So anyway, the, sh the cheese ships and if people don't know, Mucarocha, uh, even traditionally in, in Spain, has what is called a pel florida, which is a very hairy rind that's really just a lot of uh, mucor. And, you know, our cheese actually does get padded and brushed and uh, doesn't typically arrive in that way. But anyway, all the cheese shipped. And so everybody was opening the boxes and the cheese had just, was just, you know, cats. crazy with oh cats, crazy with mucor <laughs> inside of the boxes. And it was just like, Long-haired cat. It was just like the e every time I hit refresh on the computer, it just felt like there was just another email going like, what is happening? And, you know, all of it was fine. You know, it's like there's nothing wrong with the cheese. Um, but what I learned is that I'm just never, I'm never going to run a promotion with this cheese in August, right? It's better <laughs> to run it, you know, in April. Or uh, just over time, you just, you get, it's the school of hard knocks and you just know, uh, you learn these lessons and, and hopefully, you know, the cheese then um, arrives not, not in, in this way that's scary to people. <laughs> well, it's a teachable moment for, you know, for you, but it's a teachable moment for the retailers. Um, who are looking for a promotion and explaining why this cheese and not another one, you know, um, and that's what, you know, I think we all appreciate about this industry um, and a lot of industries that work with um, foods that have been made for so many centuries and that we're still kind of selling in their original, in the same form that they've been produced for centuries um, is that we're, we're uh, always learning and we're always educating. Yeah, and I guess I have a question for you, Jen, regarding, you know, we, we take these teaching moments, getting feedback from your customers. How much of that feedback affects the decisions you make as the importer versus how much of that feedback actually needs to reach the producer? And is the producer then responsible for how they're packaging things? Um, do they take feedback with, oh, maybe this cheese should have been packaged in a little more paper so that it doesn't disintegrate into a cardboard box? I mean, how, how, how do those conversations happen? It's such a great question. And the reaction to any given thing, you know, manifests itself in a different different ways depending on the situation and then when we can determine how big of a, a problem it is um so for instance uh Taledjo, um there's issues with uh Taledjo drying out because there's you know we sell our most popular case pack is two per case, right? So two come in a case and you take one out and you drop it down into the coffin and then you cut the one that you cut the second wheel and you put those pieces on top. And so what, what the pieces of cheese underneath is, is a wheel of cheese that has just paper on it. And uh, coffins are 
coffin cases are really the worst environment for cheese. And, um, and I, you know, like the way the airflow is and typically Telejo because it's not a big wheel is often at the front, which is, again, if you're going to put it anywhere, that's <laughs> the worst place it could be. But I mean, it has to be there unless you're going to have a bunch of other things on top. Anyway, these are all practical mongering things. But because, uh, so because of that situation, we started making dummy wheels and really trying to encourage uh, stores and our customers to use dummy wheels and not actually having a wheel of cheese underneath there in that environment and leaving the cheese in the box as long as possible before it's cut. So that's just one situation. Sometimes it might be like, oh, we, we're having multiple people come to us saying that the cryo is, is blown and surface mold is happening. And if you hear that enough times, you realize, oh, there's something wrong with the machine and not like it's this isolated event. And so which case, um, you know, again, our sales team is all in New York City. You know, a lot of other companies, their their salespeople are all over the U.S. and maybe they don't talk to each other or see each other as much as we do. But we're always, you know, around each other. We have sales meetings every week and so on and so forth. So we can pretty quickly determine whether there's something bigger going on that we need to speak to uh, our pro producers about. And we have a you know quality control team at our warehouse. That's Everett and Mia, who I'm sure a lot of you know. And uh, you know they do a great job of, you know, obviously they're looking at our cheese all the time, and uh, communicating with us, um, you know what's what they're seeing all the time. So you brought up the cryo uh, and blown. Um, seals is a big, is another big one. So I would say like surface mold, probably get a lot of calls about surface mold, but also about blown seals. When, when do you, when does someone need to be concerned about a blown seal? Is it always, is it sometimes, what is the, well, a blown seal is just means that, I mean, it depends. Like there's, there's a blown seal, which means that enough, there's been a, a small hole that has allowed the seal to not be sealed essentially. And so there's air inside there. And then there's something that would be qualified as like compromised. So that would mean like there's a big, you know, maybe a slash or like a forklift went through or whatever and create, but like a, a blown cryo isn't going to create a food safety situation. So it's going to create air and then their surface mold will develop. But uh, as far as bacteria, it's not there to prevent bacteria from growing. It's there to prevent mold spores from developing. I think that's a really, a really so, good distinction. I was just about to say that. Stole the words right out of my mouth. That it, it comes down to being able to triage the situation. And that, that's what I'm getting is just how important the communication is between us, the retailer, with our customers, 
but also the conversation between us and our distributors and our distributors to you and then you guys to the producers. It's all about communication. Yep. Yep. In fact, I know um, some of the cheesemakers I work with are starting to um, include care cards in their cases, especially the buy the each cheeses, because often you don't, sometimes you don't see the cheese because it's wrapped in a white paper or maybe it's in a little plastic case. Sometimes you'll see uh, condensation forming inside. Actually, that's something I love about uh, Jasper Hills cheeses mm-hmm. is their little notes on the back of, uh, especially with like Harbison and Winamere, when you have some of those nice bloomy, bluish situations on their spruce rinds. Yeah. Um, unless, like for someone buying that from a Whole Foods versus someone buying that from a cut to order shop, when there's not someone standing there being able to explain, oh, that's normal. Mm-hmm. It's really helpful to have those kinds of notes there as yeah. the consumer. As if, as if they, ha- you know, need <laughs> to put one more thing on a label. Right. <laughs> but, um, but I think there are some really savvy graphic designers out there that are helping cheesemakers make it fit because mm-hmm. I think it is becoming more important to communicate. Like this kind of mold is okay. This color, you know, don't be put off by this. You may see blue veining. You may see, you know. Um, so I know that there are there are some cheesemakers who are making the effort to include care cards, not just for the, for the end user, but also for the mongers or the person doing the receiving, mm-hmm. um, which uh, is just another way of just communicating a, a, about cheese care. I mean, can I just uh-huh. interrupt? So... One of the things that I always want to emphasize when I'm talking to someone about their concerns is that it's really never, for for me and I know my colleagues, that it's really not about the money. It's really about the cheese. And we're trying to honor the, the cheese and who made it and the animal and the, you know, all of the things that brought it to that place. And there are exceptions and there's times where absolutely we're going, there's an issue and there's a problem and we can remedy that. But I think that our industry as a whole is just thinks about, like we care so much about the cheese that one of my favorite stories is when I was a brand, when I was a new cheesemonger in Chicago 20 years ago, uh, Matteo was touring stores with Deborah Dickerson and he came to my store and, uh, he was, you know, he was like, can I go into your walk-in? And I was like, sure. And so we went into the walk-in and he looked at the Neil's yard wash rind cheeses that I had in the walk-in and, and he was like, let me tell you what to do with these when you get them. And he, he was like, you're going to unwrap them and see how sticky they are. They might need to dry out, flip them over, you know, blah, blah, blah. Do you need to change it? You know, he just, he spent like less than five minutes with me about how to take care of that cheese. And it wasn't even his cheese. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually reminded him of this <laughs> this summer at ACS. Uh, because it's something that has stuck with me. And I think that um, I had a lot of people around me as a, as a young cheesemonger. I had, you know, Elder DeSantos visiting me every week. 
who I bought cheese from, and I had Jay Nitty from Isola Imports who would visit my store every week. And the interaction with them is if I had a question or issue, like they were always going to help me, whether it was something that was theirs or not. And I, uh, I, I feel that way about all of my custom, you know. We actually talked about that similar uh, just value of our industry at a Monger Monday we had in February, where we, we brought in a bunch of different people uh, to talk about career development and all of the different opportunities that exist in our industry beyond just being a monger behind the counter and working in sales. Um, and I think the big takeaway for everyone was that you can call anyone in this industry and somebody will point you in the direction of help. If they can't help you, someone knows someone that can help you and help you find resources. And what a beautiful thing in our industry to just, it's about the cheese. It's not, there's always a little bit of competition. Yeah, maybe someone likes this parm over this parm. Someone likes this manchego over this manchego. But at the end of the day, we just want to see that cheese survive, regardless of who made it. Yeah. So I'm going to ask each of you, um, <laughs> when, as because we do want the cheese to to live and live survive on. and grow, but I need to know from each of you, just on a personal level, when is it when is it time to say goodbye to a cheese? Well, <laughs> like when do you decide whether it's in your house or in your place of work? When do you have to just cut the it depends on the cheese. For softer cheeses, when that ammonia really kicks in and I can't even swallow the cheese, it's a no from me. If I can maybe get some life out of it, I'm like, okay, that was brutal, but let me leave it out on the counter for a little bit longer. Let's see how she does. Uh, but when I can't swallow the cheese, she's out. But I will always taste her. Always. will mm-hmm. always give it a shot, hope for the best. Um, always follow my nose, like I said. Um, and that's the biggest piece of advice I give every customer. Like, how how long is this cheese going to last? I'm like, I don't know, man. It might yeah. last. It depends. I don't know the, I don't know how your fridge does. I don't know what you have in your fridge. I don't know how you're going to store your cheese, even if I give you my advice. Follow your nose. If, if it smells like your cat's litter box and you can't even go near it, it might be time to assess. But when it's an aged cheese too, when it when it reaches just a grittiness that is so unpleasant that I can't even grate it, it's done. When it gets so dry and all of the butter fat has just left the building, I, I can't get behind that. I, I don't think I can actually do better than that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think tasting it is important. You know, there's all kinds of things uh that people do to not throw anything away so there's you know taking you know some aged cheese that might be uh too old to eat as a table cheese and then marinating it in olive oil and herbs and peppercorns uh there's the is it fromage mort or there's something uh, the French where they they take all the bits, the leftover bits that are in their, 
you know, in their fridge and they basically mix them all up together and add some white wine and they make this sort of spread. It's, I don't like eating it. It's not, it's not something <laughs> Let I... Let it be known. It's not, something Jen's not I eating it. <laughs> it's not my jam. But, you know, there are ways of, you know, uh, the things that you wouldn't necessarily be eating anymore. As table cheese, you, there are ways that people for centuries have still managed to consume them because it's still is something to eat, right? It's still something that they bought with their money. Their, it, it might even be something that they made themselves, right? They have, they're making cheese at home and they're, they're not going to even spare or uh, spoil even a little bit. But yeah, I, at home myself, I, I don't do any of those things. I just, you know, taste it. And if it's just, if it's too, you know, too chewy, if it's got a, if it's ammoniated, if it's bitter beyond, uh, yeah, I just, I have to let it go. I, I, I live alone. And so I, I really try to enjoy cheese with, with friends, um, which I think is always the best way to eat anything. Um, and so, uh, so I never really find myself in that situation. So I'm, I'm buying really what I'm going to be able to consume in a very short amount of time. And I think the other, you know, the, in the retail aspect of it too, is knowing how to avoid an infection, I would say, in the cheese. And when you're taking care of your cheese, if you notice cracking, that's a big thing too, um, especially in some of like my more my English cheeses and even some of my hard Italian cheeses. I had um, a wheel a wheel of Sapore del Piave that we were consistently getting batches that had kind of blown in the middle, um, and there was a lot of cracking and a lot of mold development that was not really surface mold that was easy to remove. We were having to kind of butcher the wheel in a way. Uh, and it's a really important monger skill to have to know how to save your cheese uh, before the undesirable mold takes over. So that producer actually stopped using lysosamine in their cheese making um, in the past few years, which is maybe why you might have been seeing some of that activity. Um, but I hope you talk to somebody about I, oh, and I absolutely, oh, no, this, this conversation did not start here, ladies, believe it or not. No, that was a call to the supplier and tons of pictures, lot numbers, and everything that you said about how to communicate with your supplier, it is so important to getting anywhere because at the end of the day, it's about saving the cheese. And you don't know if any, for all you know, those wheels from the same batch are going to other shops and nobody's saying anything. So how would the producer have any idea of that feedback once it leaves their caves? I mean, as, as a supplier, I would, I really would rather hear someone talk about their concerns and what they're seeing than to receive it and say, I'm just never going to buy this cheese right. again. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I cannot emphasize that enough. Uh, I, it's really important for us to know because, you know, we primarily are an importer. We rarely sell, you know, there's only a select few of retailers that we sell directly to. 
So we're all, in most cases, selling to a distributor who's then selling it to a retailer or a restaurant or whoever. So it goes through a lot of hands after it leaves our hands. And so it's really important for us to hear because maybe it, maybe the distributor needs training, right? Uh, and maybe they have some new people, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, I, I just don't stop buying a cheese without talking to someone first about issues. We're only as good as the information we have. Absolutely. Right. So, I mean, the decisions we make. Communication. Communication, information. Pictures. Yeah. Pictures. <laughs> Pictures and lot numbers. I love this conversation and want to keep having it. And, um, but I, our time is up, but I think, um, this is, this is just, you know, a small part of a a larger conversation. And I thank you both so much for joining me and thank you so much for the work that you're doing to engage other people in the industry about cheese care. And, um, Jen and thanks for Kate, thank yeah, you so thanks much for, for having me. You want yeah. to keep having more of these conversations? Come to Bedford Cheese Shop for Monger Monday. Yes, and um, I, I I'm going to make it one day. I Please promise. Do. Please do. Open <laughs> if anyone's in the New York area, it's the first Monday. Uh, for uh, second 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 Monday usually of every month. Second yep. Monday of every. We put month. it out on our social media. You can RSVP uh, with our general manager, and uh, all of the information is on our website as well. It's so great. And thank you, everyone, for listening to us on Cutting the Curd. And check out our Instagram. Check out Heritage Radio Network. And I look forward to uh, having you all back here again. Thanks. Thanks. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.